Welcome to another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Space News Roundup. I'm Jean Deville, joined as always by my co-host Blaine Curcio. In this week's episode, we discuss the recent milestones accomplished by the launch company Rocket Pi. But first, let's talk about the failure of the Kuaizhou 1A rocket and the consequences on the launch company Xspace and the satellite company Gspace. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dongfang Hour. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. So, Xspace, the commercial launch spinoff of the aerospace state-owned enterprise. Kasik, based in the city of Wuhan, failed its most recent launch attempt of the Kuaizhou 1A rocket on December 14th, carrying two satellites of the satellite company GSpace, the GSat 1A and the GSat 1B. But unfortunately, as it's often the case with Chinese launch failures, we don't really have any videos or images or just any communication from、uh, the launch company Xspace to share with you, at least for now. And I think this failure is definitely a significant setback for Xspace, as this represents the second failure of the Kuaizhou 1A rocket in 15 months, and this brings the reliability of the rocket down to 86%. So 12 successful launches out of 14 attempts, and this this level of reliability is not unusual for commercial small lift rockets, and I think it's comparable, for example, to Rocket Lab's Electron rocket. They're at 20 successes out of 23 attempts. That's about 86% as well, but I think it's still a major hit for the leading commercial launch company in China. Up to now, so Xspace was up to now praised for having this irreproachable level of reliability for its Kuaizhou 1A rockets. And just to put that a little bit into perspective, up to September 2020, the Kuaizhou 1A rocket had a reliability, had a track record of 100%. And the European in me wants to say that this makes them sort of the Ariane 5. Of solid-fueled small-lift、um, launch vehicles, but digressing.、Um, and you have to add to that that they also failed their Kuaizhou 11 launch in September 2020. So I think that Kuaizhou, I mean Xspace, could be facing some defiance from satellite companies in the months to come, as well as increasing. Insurance premiums, and perhaps even more seriously, I think for Xspace is that this is coming at a time where we have commercial launch competition really growing in China. And just to give a few examples of that, we had Galactic Energy just a, a week and a half or so ago complete their second、uh, successful launch in a row of the Series One rocket, and they're also planning five more launches in the coming year. And to put that into perspective as well, five launches in a single year—that's the best that Xspace has done so far, and that was in. 2019. So some serious competition coming from Galactic Energy. We also have iSpace that will likely attempt further launches of their Hyperbola One rocket in 2022, despite the two failed attempts in 2021. We also have Caspace that、uh, will launch the ZK1A solid field rocket in March 2022, and this is a much larger rocket. It is able to put 1.5 tons into Leo. So this rocket will be competing with Xspace's. Kuaizhou 11, which is a rocket that、um, Xspace still has to launch successfully. So Xspace is feeling the heat both、uh, at the small lift launch vehicle segment,、uh, but also for its larger rockets. And finally, there are also you know some of the newcomers to Chinese commercial launch, like Space Pioneer, which should be testing their Tianlong rockets in 2022. We have also Rocket Pi with their Darwin One rocket, which I'll talk about at the end of the episode. 
And finally, there's all those medium lift liquid field rockets from iSpace, Landspace, Galactic Energy, all those usual suspects that are bound to perform their maiden launches in the coming 12 to 24 months. And this is a segment of the market that XSpace does not really cover today, although they did mention in the past some vague project of a liquid field Quijo 2. So overall, this is a major uh, setback for XSpace and highlights again, uh, once again, how, as we often say, that space is hard, although this definitely is not a life-threatening situation for them. I mean, um, they're supported by one of the biggest state-owned enterprises in China called Kasich, and they're also, after all, still the most advanced commercial launch company in China so far, if you put aside all the long-march rockets. Now, beyond XSpace, I think this is also a setback for the payloads uh, manufacturer, the satellite company G-Space. So to get into that, Blaine, you want to tell us a little bit more about this company that is led by a man called Li Shufu, uh, who is sometimes called the Elon Musk of China, or uh, any thoughts on this failure of the Quadro 1A? Absolutely. And before doing so, just a small administrative point, a thanks to our good friends at Miratlas who are not sponsoring the episode, but who have let me borrow their studio to record. So thank you to Jean-Edouard and um, thank you to Miraglis. So before digging into the specific impact on G-Space, I think it's important to first mention other players that are likely impacted by this launch failure are all of the Chinese companies that are planning to launch their own constellations. And so up to this point, we've heard a number of times from different satellite manufacturers that the main bottleneck for them right now to deploy their satellites and to deploy these constellations is the lack of consistent launch access. And several of these companies have specifically mentioned high hopes that XSpace can ramp up production of the Quijo rocket series and help reduce some of this backlog. And so with this second failure of the Quijo 1A in their last five Quijo 1A attempts, uh, it's likely going to be back to the drawing board for some time for XSpace. And just a small reminder, uh, as John alluded to earlier, uh, after the last Quijo 1A failure, it took XSpace just over one year to return to flight. And so the delay here following this failure could be a little while. Um, and this could, uh, to, again, to John's earlier point, create an opening for some of these more emergent commercial launch players. But digressing uh, short to medium term, this is definitely going to contribute to a larger backlog and a larger queue uh, for different constellations or satellite manufacturers uh, to start deploying their, their satellites. So now getting to the more specific impact on G-Space. So clearly, very unfortunate development for the company, which has up to this point seen some pretty significant fits and starts with their highly ambitious space program, a space program which at different times, we've heard rumors about building their own rockets, launching their own enhanced navigation constellation, and some other interesting, you know, quasi rumors. So, so again, very ambitious space program has seen some fits and starts. And so just to review a little bit, um, you know, what is the driving factor behind the G-Space space program? So G-Space's parent company, the Zhejiang Jili Holdings Group, is arguably China's leading private automaker with a market cap of around 30 billion U.S. dollars as of the time of recording, around 80,000 employees, and sales of roughly 1 million vehicles per year. And so getting to Jean's earlier point about the company chairman, Li Shufu, and his net worth of a little more than 20 billion U.S. dollars, um, he is indeed occasionally referred to as the Chinese version of Elon Musk. 
And there's a great deep dive article from earlier this year from Reuters that we will link in the episode notes. It's really interesting profile. And among other things, you know, Lee is a member of the National People's Congress, and he has been rumored to be a friend or, or at least a close associate uh, to the Chinese President Xi Jinping, uh, with Xi having, of course, spent around five years as the governor of Zhejiang province, uh, which is the home of Jili. And so Lee, uh, the, the chairman, has for some time been talking about turning Jili from a car manufacturer into what we could call a sort of autonomous mobility service provider, with one of the enabling factors of this transformation being the launch of an enhanced navigation constellation, which would allow uh, vehicles to have more accurate location data and, again, therefore become sort of autonomous vehicles. And so when we look at Zili's core business, it's relatively far from the space sector, but they have put a lot of emphasis into their space program, at least in terms of funding and, and indeed in terms of launching satellites. So uh, their space program really kind of began in earnest around uh, the beginning of last year when they announced an investment of about 2.27 billion RMB, which at the time was a bit more than 300 million U.S. dollars into a highly automated satellite manufacturing facility in Taizhou in, uh, in Zhejiang province, with the factory planning to eventually have a production capacity of about 500 satellites per year. And that was meant to be made by only about 300 employees. So apparently a very high degree of automation. And I would also note that GD has discussed having you know, certain elements from the automotive manufacturing uh, industry, certain technological elements incorporated into their satellite manufacturing facility, which to the extent that there would be overlap, you could imagine there being some increased efficiencies there. So other components of the Geely space program up until now that are noteworthy have been the acquisition of the Chinese Academy of Sciences spin-off satellite manufacturer Space OK, and notably installing the former CEO of Space OK, Mr. Wang Yong, as the CEO of Geely's space industry subsidiary uh, G-Space, also known as uh, Shi Hongdaoyu. And in an interview last month, uh, Wang revealed some insights about the recent launch, although he obviously did not know that it was going to fail, but nonetheless revealed some interesting insights, um, notably that the two failed satellites were going to be using Geely's GSP-100 satellite platform, which is its mid-sized platform that has a mass of some few hundred kilograms up to about 500 kilograms and an intended satellite lifetime of about five to seven years. And just the final interesting point, I would say, from the interview with Wang last month is that G-Space's team includes at least 10 experts that worked on the third generation Beidou satellite navigation constellation, which is presumably a very important factor for trying to build an enhanced navigation constellation. And also noted that, uh, you know, over the past couple of decades, China has developed what he referred to as, you know, less than 100 different models for satellites. And of that less than 100, uh, G-Space has experts within its team that have worked on more than 40 of these platforms. So really, it seems an impressive amount of, of resources being put into this space program by GD and, and, and G-Space in terms of just the people that they're trying to hire. And indeed, I guess it would be interesting to do a bit more digging into, you know, to what extent has this created some kind of brain drain from China's traditional satellite manufacturers? Because again, you have experts from 40 of the, the different satellite models that have been built coming over to G-Space. So getting back to this week's launch failure, and where does this leave G-Space? So the company has been pretty vocal over the last handful of months over the, the approvals that they've received for such things as the mass manufacturing of satellites, uh, which that they acquired in early 2021. 
And I would say that, you know, by its very nature, their enhanced navigation constellation is a pretty regulatorily tricky proposition in China, given that SatNav is pretty well under the purview of the government. So the fact that we were able to get to this point of launching multiple satellites uh, from a state-owned launch site on, you know, what is effectively a state-owned rocket, uh, you know, failure notwithstanding, it seems to be an indication of some pretty strong regulatory support or at a minimum regulatory approval for GSpace's constellation. And I would also note that the company did mention in September of 2021 that they have begun batch manufacturing of satellites, indicating that, you know, if the launch cadence were to get good enough, if the rockets are reliable enough, they might be able to roll out their constellation pretty efficiently from here on out. And again, coming from a company that builds roughly a million cars per year, or at least sells a million cars per year, presumably most of which are built by Geely, um, you could imagine um, potentially ramping up production quite quickly. So ultimately, Definitely the launch failure is a setback for G-Space, and uh, indeed the company had hoped to verify a couple of different technologies on these satellites that were going to be put into orbit. That being said, uh, they do seem to have the money, the infrastructure, the political capital in place to move forward pretty quickly once everything is indeed uh, you know lined up and in place. And I would also, last point is... Um, I would also point out that G-Space has identified a pretty clear target market for its constellation, that being its own vehicles, uh, which may make it relatively more straightforward to deploy, again, from a regulatory perspective. And so just to sum up, I think despite this recent setback, we remain pretty bullish on G-Space to deploy its constellation over the coming years. And now I guess the only question is, you know, are they going to be trusting uh, the Quadro rockets ever again? Or uh, whether, to Jean's earlier point, this is going to give an opening to some of the new and emerging commercial launch companies, uh, of which we did see one other one, a rather surprising one, make some additional headlines this week. So, Jean, unless you have any additional points on G-Space or Quadro, be interesting to hear about uh, China's 34th uh, most recently funded launch company and uh, what they've been up to. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's, uh, so let's talk about RocketPie, a company that I mentioned earlier in this episode and which has completed several milestones in, in recent days. So first, some background on this company that's definitely one of the more mysterious and unknown companies. According to most reports, most accounts, this company was founded in December 2020 in the city of Huzhou in Zhejiang province, and the company is planning to develop two rockets. You have the Darwin 1 two-stage small-lift liquid-filled rocket capable of putting 270 kilograms into LEO, and a larger version with strap-on boosters, presumably called Darwin 2, able to put two tons into LEO. And the company also has offices in Beijing, which are reportedly R&D facilities. And over the past three months, things have really been accelerating for RocketPie. As we reported barely a month and a half ago on the Dongfang Hour, RocketPie signed an agreement with the rocket engine manufacturer Jojo Ingen to purchase their Lingyun and Longyun reusable Methlox liquid-filled engines, which would power the Darwin 1 rocket. And rocket engines being uh, possibly the single most complicated piece of equipment that's in a rocket, this will definitely accelerate the development of the Darwin 1 rocket, especially since these engines of Jojo Ingen seem to be reaching a certain level of maturity. And we've seen in the recent year or two, many, many hot fire test runs of their Lingyun and Longyun rockets. But now moving more onto the new stuff that happened over the past week or two. In early December, the company RocketPie raised a new round of funding worth tens of millions of RMB in an Angel Plus round from a fund called Hainan Thousand Billion Investment Fund. And that's sort of a rough translation from the Mandarin, which is Hainan Qianyi Tozi Jijin. And they also raised this money from municipal investment funds from the city of Suzhou. 
And I think the most interesting part in all of this is likely due to the funding and the support coming from the local government of Suzhou. This apparently has justified Rocket Pi moving their people from the historical headquarters of Huzhou all the way to Taichung County in Suzhou. And from information that's publicly available, it seems that this Suzhou base will now be a manufacturing center for the company, while Beijing and presumably also um, Shanghai offices will be in charge of R&D. And I think what's um, what I want to add on that is that this game of musical chairs that we have uh, in the Chinese commercial space sector, especially for CapEx-heavy activities such as uh, providing launch services, this is not something new. It's not something unusual. We've seen, for example, Deep Blue Aerospace move some of their activities from their historical base in Beijing all the way to Nantong. And with the interview that we had with Galactic Energy in last week's episode, we also uh, found out that their move partial move from Beijing all the way to Jinyang Chengdu was motivated also by the strong support that the local government was providing the company. So one last um, recent success regarding RocketPi that I want to talk about, and probably also a fact that makes them slightly different from all the other launch companies in China, is that they also plan to provide a business uh, around microgravity experiment services. And this would you know, start with a commercial microgravity platform called the Sparkle One, which they actually successfully launched for the first time on December 13th. So just a couple of days ago on board the Huawei One suborbital rocket, which is a rocket provided by an absolutely stealthy launch company in Shanxi that we can talk about in a different episode. Um, and apparently this launch that took place a couple of days ago went well. The rocket reached 250 kilometers. The microgravity levels obtained by the Sparkle 1 were at 0.0001 G. And telemetry parameters were normal. And the biological payload operated nominally. And so Rocket Pi seems to be one of those companies that believe strongly in the commercial microgravity business. It is already preparing a second commercial launch of their Sparkle 1 platform, apparently with uh, Shanghai Jiaotong University, as well as Raijin Hospital. And they also mentioned, quote unquote, that further launches of the Sparkle One platform are to be expected in 2022. So talks about the commercialization of microgravity platforms and experiments aren't really new. And they're also uh, some of the reasons behind why we've been seeing a surge in commercial space station projects in the US in recent months. And speaking of which, if things work out as planned, RocketPi is planning to build a space biology lab after 2025. And this is according to an article published by the Global Times in March this year. So um, definitely a very exciting company to watch. Definitely a sign of an increasing level of commercialization in the Chinese space sector. And, uh, you know, just what a time to be alive and, and to watch these projects unfold. For sure. And uh, I, I'm drawing a blank on the, the CEO of Rocket Pie, although I know he has a two-syllable name. And uh, I just recall reading an interesting interview with him uh, a handful of months ago where he really talked about, you know, wanting to sort of musky in ideas of always wanting to colonize Mars and do do a lot of these very, very big, ambitious things. And so very interesting to hear that a space biology lab by 2025 is now uh, apparently on, on their docket. So good good luck to them there. Um so yeah, just a couple of additional small points to add. So part of me is wondering whether uh, the longstanding presence, relatively speaking, of land space in Huzhou has made it difficult for Rocket Pi to get many benefits from the local government. So, of course, you know, land space uh, in what is essentially ancient history in the context of Chinese commercial space, they first received financial uh, support from the city of Huzhou all the way back in 2017. 
And so now, you know, if I'm if I'm Hujo and if I see land space doing well, uh, partly based on my support, why would I be supporting a second launch company? And so that that's something that I, I think about a little bit. Um, it complete speculation, but in my opinion, it, it could mean good things for land space. I would think if land space was really struggling to pull things together, Hujo might be a bit more likely to to hedge their bets. So it may also be a feather in the cap of the Hujo city government for realizing uh, that one medium-sized Chinese city does not necessarily need to support more than one uh, commercial launch company. Um, at the same time, I think it's interesting to note that Suzhou is apparently trying to attract a second launch company. So as we saw in April of this year, uh, Tianbing Aerospace, also known as Space Pioneer, had a ceremony where they set up an intelligent manufacturing base in the Jiangjiagang district of Suzhou, which is just up the, I believe, the Yangtze River, I suppose, uh, from Taizong, where um, where Rocket Pi has, has set up. And so Space Pioneer, this other company in, in Suzhou, because, you know, Suzhou needs multiple launch companies, um, they've moved very quickly, having completed five funding rounds in the past two years. And according to a recent interview with the CEO, they now have more than 120 employees, almost all of which have apparently come from either Cask or Kasich. And the interview from Space Pioneer also noted that their Suzhou facility would basically be used as an industrial base for rocket integration. And so now bringing it back to Rocket Pi, I think that this is indeed but the latest example of a Chinese commercial launch company setting up a major rocket integration facility near the sea. So as I mentioned, we have Space Pioneer and Rocket Pi, both of which are just on the Yangtze River, uh, which itself is very close to the, the sort of Yangtze River Delta and the mouth that would lead out into the East China Sea, I suppose. Um, we also have Deep Blue Aerospace, which is just across the Yangtze River in Nantong, but again, just right on the river. Um, Cast Space, which we've discussed before, located near the mouth of the Pearl River down in Guangzhou, and the various companies that are setting up near Yantai and also in, in Hainan. We saw iSpace a couple of months ago uh, setting up in, in Hainan. So it's just a very interesting, I think, um, a change of, of perhaps philosophy, change of style from what used to be a kind of an industry that was quite inland because it was strategically important and all the launch sites need to be far from the borders because, they, you know, all these things. But but now it's much more we want to have our facilities near bodies of water implicitly because I think um, it's easier to then ship completed rockets on a barge down to Hainan or down to Ningbo or down to Yantai where we have these launch sites being built. So again, a little bit of speculation, but I think it's it's undeniable to say that we have an increasing number of commercial launch companies in China setting up what they are calling sort of rocket integration facilities near bodies of water. And oftentimes these are being supported by their other facilities that are you know, perhaps not rocket integration facilities that are located further inland and indeed uh, closer to what has been historically you know, launch-focused economies. So the best example there being Xi'an in Shanxi province, where not really near any main bodies of water, but a huge amount of launch industry know-how uh, in Xi'an. So, again, um, definitely we're, we're still a little little ways away from seeing any of this play out, but I suspect moving forward, we're going to see a fair number of commercial launch vehicles being shipped by barge, either down the Yangtze River from Nantong or Suzhou, uh, or indeed down the last few kilometers of the Pearl River from Nansha in Guangzhou. And I guess just a last point, taking it back up to land space, I do wonder... You know, uh, whether the location of their facility in Hujo, which as far as I know is not near any, I mean, Hujo being a big lake, but I, I don't know if it's necessarily near Lake Hu, 
I guess. Um, but uh, digressing, they're not really near any big rivers, and, and so I don't know how easy it will be for land space to transport rockets from their Huzhou facility. But either way, a um, lot of commercial launch companies in China, and quite a few of them having now set up near big rivers or, uh, or other bodies of water. Um, so with that being said, uh, just a couple of last-minute administrative points. So again, special thanks to our good friends at Miratlas for the studio. Also a special thanks to our most recent supporters, notably Ed Fife Design, KS, and Alex, all of whom have bought us some wonderful coffees over at buymeacoffee.dongfanghour.com. Um, special thanks also to our good friends at GoTikonauts and Spacewatch.global, two great sources of space industry news. And, John, anything else from your side this week? I'm all good. Thank you very much for watching. Okay. And uh, we will see you next week's episode. Happy holidays, and thank you for watching.